All right, welcome to the Zealous State of Mind podcast with the Guru Gaines, also part of the West West Network. Today's guest is a member of the West West Network. He hosts The Pitch. Uh, he's a sales expert, been in the game for over 20 years, but I'll let him tell more of his own story. Welcome, welcome to the, the show, Joey Nanai. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it's really good to be here. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I was just telling him that uh, I had... Uh, a guest cancel last minute. I've had a few of those. <laughs> Have you had that happen to you? Or? Yes, many a time. But um, yeah, obviously part being, of the game, mate. Obviously, being in sales, I've learned how to over time uh, minimize that. Yeah, yeah. I've um, I've had a few of them, and then um, I was yeah. So I uh, put a message out to all the West West Network, and Joe was kind enough to um, to talk with me, and it was good because uh, it would be good to hear more of uh, Joey's story and i haven't had a sales expert on on the podcast as well so i thought it was a good opportunity to get to know you better um we've been on the same team and then also to learn more about sales um yeah yeah tell us a little bit about uh background like how you got into sales that type of thing because that's not a common common thing with uh pacific pacific people eh? really yeah i mean you're absolutely right it's not a common thing with pacific people and I guess my journey when I first got into sales selling Kirby vacuum machines, at the time we were told to call them uh, home care systems. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you had to um, you had to justify four and a half grand investment into a, a vacuum cleaner by calling it something really flash like a home care system. Wow. Um, I guess for me and my journey when I first started out. Um, I was kind of forced into that situation where I had just returned from uh, playing rugby overseas in France and I was thinking about going back to complete my studies at uh, Auckland University of Technology um, but decided you know what I'm going to get into the workforce and save a bit of money um, because chances are I may pick up another rugby contract and go head overseas again. Yeah. So there's no point studying, um, you know, study again if if my intentions were to leave. So um, sales for me at the at the very beginning and why I got into it, um, I think I think I was fooled into it. Fooled? I fo yeah, I was fooled by all the you know all the glamour and you know all the shiny objects that uh, sales that people at the was time. Is it the pyramid were, scheme stuff? Yes, the permit oh, scheme yeah. stuff. That even the Kirby, the Kirby business that I that I joined was um, it was very well um, brainwashed. <laughs> so so we, we they had us they had us nine o'clock every morning singing a, a Kirby vacuum song. Wow! Um, to to hype us up to go out there into the world and sell Kirby vacuums. So. We were definitely brainwashed, uh, those of us who stayed. Um, I kind of stayed longer than I should have, I think. Um, yeah. How long did you stay in that one? Uh, the large part of a year. Yeah. So eight to ten months, um, where I kind of worked, my, worked myself up to a junior manager role Yeah. from uh, a starting sales rep. How, how did it go off the song? Like, was you, because, you know, it's probably a bit nerve-wracking, could they tell, like, you weren't passionate about it and be like, sing it with more passion, Joey? 
I want to hear you really. It was um, it was very forced. It was very forced. Um, they had us singing it all together in unison as a group. Yeah, it was, and I still remember some of the lines. It, it was, "Let's sell the Kirby's now," and it was like a whole lot of "Yes, yes, yes, let's go, let's go." It's like, oh well, okay. So <laughs> I, I, I look back on that time now, and I think to myself, I was, I'm glad I got out, but I did, I did learn something whilst I was there because it. It was kind of throwing me into the deep end of sales where uh, we had to go out and do door knocking. We had to find our own leads and we had to take the rejection that came with getting a door slammed in your face or getting told to F off. Yeah. So. Um, was, was you the only Pacific person at that, that time, uh, the Kirby thing? Actually, I was for that particular company, which was based in Alizy, um, uh Mount Wellington, Pamir Highway, actually. Um, I was the only Pacific Islander. There was there was a whole mix of people, but I was the only Pacific Islander. It was run by um, some um, Europeans, Eastern Europeans. Mm. So lovely couple, but um, you know they had everyone fooled. <laughs> How old was you at that uh, stage? I was twenty-two. Yeah, twenty-two yeah. years old. Would you yeah. say you were a bit naive, like getting into it? I think. For me, I wasn't even keen on, I, I didn't even care about learning um, the, the techniques side of it. Mm. The, because they had a script for us on how to say certain things at certain times when we're doing a demonstration in front of a customer and when to bring in the boss on the phone to kind of do a double close kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, and it was good. While well, last, I made quite a lot of sales. Oh, and I did really well as, as a team member. And I was one of the, the top selling um, employees. But I got to a point where I was faced with, you know, a question. And the question was, are you really selling to people who can afford a four and a half grand vacuum cleaner? Because that's basically what it is. And you're guilting them with your scripted story to, to buy. And I figured out that they were actually buying me. They weren't buying the, the machine itself. Mm-hmm. They were buying the fact that here's this cool guy that spent a couple of hours doing a demo for us and he's worked really hard. So he's, and, and he's given us some affordable um, options on how to purchase it. So um, yeah, we're going to go in and, and buy a, a four and a half grand, a four and a half thousand um, vacuum machine. Damn, that's, that's a tough... That's tough. So I did, um, you know, a child, child fund, child fund. Child fund, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did like um, maybe a month or something like that. It was tough. Right. I didn't think, um, I didn't get paid for a while. I I wasn't good. I'm not a good um, salesperson. And I didn't make money, I think, um, my first week. I can't remember. I remember being gutted. I didn't get paid for a while. And then I remember making my first few sales and, and getting paid but yeah those mm. those the script and everything and um yeah they're all right into it eh? they're right into the yeah. uh, like disciples eh? yeah so the, uh, those guys interestingly enough the, the guys that do fundraising for those organizations that are actually making an impact and making a difference around the world i found that those people if they really wanted to and went into sales roles in other industries they would kill it because 
they're they're purpose led. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and they know how to sell the story, um, and get the emotions of you know their their target audience, mm. and that that speaks to sales in general. Really, you know, people buy emotionally and they make decisions intellectually. Yeah, right. right. Was you when you was a kid like um, were you always pretty outspoken and people were telling you you had gift of the gab and that type of thing? Yeah, so um, so, yeah, I was told that quite a lot. I was told oh, right, that yeah, I, yeah. I had the gift of the gab by a lot of people around me, but uh, I never really believed it myself. I think where it came from is just the fact that I was I was a cheeky kid growing up. I was always mocking people and answering back, and you know, never really uh, respectful. <laughs> I was I was I questioned everything. I got smart about everything, and um, I think that's where. A lot of people's perception at the time was that I had the gift of the gab, so you'll be a good salesperson. And that speaks to, you know, the way society views salespeople. They yeah, think, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of society think that salespeople are basically uh, sleazy, slimy, snake oil salesmen <laughs> who, who just manipulate you and are aggressive and pushy and lie to get the deal done. Um, yeah. So that's part of the reason why I'm still in sales as a career 20 years on was because one of my I guess my ulterior motives is to change society's view on salespeople who actually take the time to learn the trade you know because for me I'm a true believer that you're not born with it sure you can have the gift of the gab but that doesn't translate into a good salesperson yeah. I've seen people time and time again who've had gift of the gap and never really made it. Mm. So, you know, for me, it's, it's a situation where, okay, just because I have to give to the gap, I still have to train, you know, you're not born into, into being a good salesperson. Yeah. You, you train to be one. Yeah. So it was quite um, challenging. Like you like the challenge of it as well. That'd be, have to be a part of it. Or it's a bit of a competitive thing as well. Or no. Nah? Um, to start off with, yes. Um, nowadays, not really. Um, nowadays, I'm, I think because I value my time a lot more than I did when I first started. I was, you know, when I first started, I was willing to just get a deal done for the customer, whatever they mm -hmm. wanted, if they wanted a discount. To me, I saw that as a buying sign. Yeah. Rather than, mm, should I really be giving you a discount? this early in the, in the process when I, ha I don't know anything about you or whether or not you're going to commit to doing something with us today. Yeah. So yeah, for me, I, because I value my time so much now, I'm, I, I qualify customers really hard and if they don't qualify, they don't qualify, you know, then there's no use us wasting each other's time as a, yeah. as a seller and a buyer because later on down the track, when you miss the buyer, say to me, mm, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a nice thing to have. Yeah. It's not something we must have, right? That's because I didn't qualify them out. So, you know. That, that was a part of your um, article that you wrote as well, eh? Discate, um, your five, five lessons that you learned? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's one of the five. Yeah. Um, Check it out, guys. What is it? Um, the top five things I wish I knew before getting into sales. Westwestnetwork.com, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I read it the other day. It was cool. 
It's cool um, the things <laughs> oh, that things that you um, you learn over the years. Yeah, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, when you when you look back on your career and when you first started out, what are some things you'd like to warn the next Joey about? Right, that's that's what I look at. Yeah. Um, because I mentor and train and coach a lot of salespeople now, and you know, it's time and time again I'm saying to myself, okay, what do you want to get out of this particular relationship with this person? Do you want to truly help them so? that they can avoid the pitfalls, that they can not waste time the way you did and how you organically um, got your knowledge base up. So, mm. yeah, those, those are questions I ask myself all the time. And, and yeah, the, the usual answer is save them some time. Yeah. Save them time. Yeah. So you did the Kirby thing uh, eight, nine months roughly, and then you moved on from there? So. When, when I was in my 20s, a large part of my 20s was spent being dictated by rugby contracts. So um, there was playing in France, there was playing in the USA for a few seasons. Um, there was also, um, when I hit 30, my wife and I, we moved to the UK and I played rugby over there as well in, in England. That's cool, so, eh? Yeah, so I, I kind of, for a large part of my adult life, working life anyway, I let rugby dictate my life. Yeah. But when I started to really get serious about um, sales was basically when we moved to the UK and I picked up a business development manager role with Flight Centre. Hmm. Um, that's when I really got serious and I decided, you know what, stop playing around. Just, you know, use your every um, spare moment to train on how to be a better salesperson but be the guy that you needed when you first started out yeah all right yeah and um so you traveled around a lot eh, with the rugby and that, that was the, that was the dream growing up there um being a rugby player yeah well um like most of us i guess <laughs> yeah i mean for me it was like i was young enough and the opportunity was there through my club um ponsonby rugby and they sent me over to France and, you know, I was, I was really happy for the experience. Um, I could have stayed longer, but I was one of those guys who France was basically the first country I'd been out, been to outside of the Pacific islands. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was that, there was that element of being homesick and not, not knowing how to deal with living overseas um, yeah. and, and having a contract. So yeah, it was, it was nice. It was quite nice. Cause you uh, you went to your La Salle, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that was> <laughs> so you played there, and then you straight out of school, you you went out to France. Um, was straight that? out of school, I spent a few years. Um, so I did I did a bit of study at a it was AIT at the time. Yeah. So AIT was Auckland Institute of Technology, and then it turned into a university in 1999, and became AUT, Auckland University of Technology. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was there through that transition um, and electronics was more of a hobby than it was something I really wanted to have base a career on uh, when I first started out. So, you know, there was that electrical knowledge, but um, when I found sales through Kirby and um, later on again through Flight Center, um, I knew it was a, 
it was something that I could I could have long term. Mm. The um, traveling around um, the the psychology of sales that would have been handy in um, like meeting people. Like, <laughs> was oh, that right? Or <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> Like um, more the communication piece for me than than oh, anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's you're gonna have hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, techniques on how to close deals and negotiate with people. Yeah, um, I mean, meeting you know, <laughs> the tra- travelers and stuff like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been handy. Yeah, but I, I think um, to a certain degree, you know, um, that that Kiwi, that Kiwiness. Um, helped me quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the the accent and everything. Yeah, for sure, especially in America. Yeah, where'd you where'd you play in America? <laughs> so in America, it was pretty pretty funny. Um, a place that you know it's not really known for its rugby, but they love their rugby. Which is called Iowa, oh, Iowa yeah. the Hawkeye State. So yeah. um, Iowa in a, in a little place called Muscatine. Um, to the north of, of Iowa. Um, we played with a bunch of uh, Australians and a mix of Americans, but um, we, we ended up winning our competition at the time, uh, Division Two, And it was, it was nice. It was really nice to get a feel for the American culture because it, it was the first time ever for me going to America. Mm. I, I'd always wanted to go, and because rugby was the vehicle that got me there, yeah, I, I've always been indebted to rugby, um, and and it's part of the reason why uh, when I came back from the UK, I decided to take on the New Zealand chapter of um, the Rugby Business Network. Mm. So, Rugby Business Network is a is a network organisation, business network, um, just based on helping. Initially, it was to help the professional rugby player who had moved on in either into business or with a corporate um, and just to help them make meaningful uh, connections basically yeah, um, with other rugby passionate people. Mm. And, you know, what better place to do that in, in New Zealand, right? And it, we didn't have someone who represented the Rugby Business Network in New Zealand. And I said to the founder, Colin, who's based in, in London, hey, mate, how come you haven't got anyone in New Zealand? He said, well, um, I just don't know anyone there. I've got, you know, people in South Africa, Australia, America even, but not New Zealand. So I said to him, well, I'm going home next month, going back to live. Um, I'll pick it up. He said, yep, cool. Here's what you need to know. So he got us set up and we're away. So um, it's basically... Um, formalizing what's already happening here in New Zealand. So, you know, you have super rugby players, you have NPC players, you have All Blacks, international rugby players who finish their careers and then they're looking for that next step, their next journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of them come to business or they, they, they work for a corporate and they want to make those connections. So that's what the Rugby Business Network is for, oh, is right. to help them formalize that. Yeah, you know, and, and the, yeah, in the form of events, you know, so getting all these people under the same roof or in, a, in the same Zoom to, yeah. you know, make those connections and engage and then have them in their own time connect with each other. Right, right, right. right. As a community, so. That's cool. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun, eh? Just making those connections, helping them with their transition um, 
from sport to the corporate world or business. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Nice, nice. And um, I see you played a couple of years over in the States. Iowa. I did indeed, yeah. yeah Iowa yeah. And, and then um, Long Beach, California. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. yeah so another LBC. title can be thing. Yeah, LBC. Um, got to tick off a few boxes there, which is which is really awesome. Um, funnily enough, we even got to play and win a championship at the Staples Center, which is known for basketball, the home of the Lakers. You played inside there? We played inside the main arena. Yeah, so they put turf down and we, we ended up playing a tournament there. And uh, our team won. So that's was what it? What was it called? Uh, just Long Beach Rugby or something? So I represent, at the time, it was um, Orange County Lions. All right. Yeah. So it was a sevens rugby tournament. Yeah. And because it's kind of small, too small to be a, a proper size rugby field. So they put down the turf and, yeah, away we went. There was quite a few teams. Cool. So, yeah, was there was, a few nice. Kiwi teams? Yeah, oh, there no. was a couple. There was a couple, actually. There was a couple of Kiwi teams. Yeah. But it was mostly... Um, American-based expats. Mm. So you won in uh, Iowa. You won in um, Long Beach, California. Long Beach. Yeah. Well, how'd you go in um, France and that in the uh, UK? France was you got championships um, there too, eh? In the UK, yep. In the yeah, UK yeah. at at Twickenham, the home of rugby. Um, yeah. yeah, it was nice. It was nice to get a, a championship there on the hallowed turf of Twickenham. Um, France, not so much. France was uh, it was a weird one actually because you know uh, one one other Kiwi uh, Akira Marisala he played at the club that I, I ended up going to Nantes um, and it was it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to face in my career was going to a, a rugby club where someone had done so well before me and then <laughs> when he left and then I joined there was still that expectation to, to play to the level that he had been yeah. playing it, even though we were in different positions. Yeah. So he was, he was a Lucy, he was a six, seven and eight. And apparently when I got there, they were telling me these stories of how he scored these length of the field tries. So Akira Marisala is the CEO of My River, which is a, um, it's a, it's an app for, um, health and well-being agencies all right um, yeah. you know so yeah it's it was one of those things where i got there and they thought okay this guy's either a superstar or he's a dud and i was more on the dud side <laughs> I, I felt bad because I, I was you know i was a front rower who went over there and you know in new zealand we're all about the hard grafting and yeah. and in the front row you don't get to do the fancy stuff until until you actually done all the hard work and if you've got 20 minutes left in the game and you're leading by 60 points then you can throw the ball around as a front row but yeah i went over there with the attitude of no i'm gonna go over there and show them what kiwi rugby looks like in the form of a salmon prop yeah um and which i did and they they did to a certain degree respect it you know mm. the scrummaging um, the tackling, the ball running, but yeah, it was hard to follow in the footsteps of Mr. Akira yeah. Marisala. But um, yeah, it's nice. How, how did the, did that help a lot? Like all the travel in terms of sales and, and you were talking about networking. I guess that was more incidental though, but does that help you a lot now? 
just you know making all the connections through rugby and traveling and that oh absolutely look it's it's part of the reason why i tell the next generation i always say hey look before you go chasing that contract before you go um tying yourself to a career go and see the world go go do an oe go and Go live, base yourself in London or France or somewhere over there overseas. Find a way to get there, whether it be through a rugby contract, through work, or you're just going for a working holiday. Try and get over there because it will open your eyes up so much to the way the world actually works and in, in through the eyes of you know, foreign, foreign countries. Because here in New Zealand, it's easy to get comfortable with, okay, Auckland's a cool city, so or you know Hamilton's a cool city so I'm just gonna do my thing go and do uni and then work my way up in a career Um, which is cool if that's your thing absolutely do that but my recommendation is go overseas go go and travel travel as much as you can while you can yeah for sure I believe 100% eh? that's um one of my favorite quotes, you know, you'll be the same person in five years, except for the books you read and the people you meet. Yeah, I love and, that. Um, and um, yeah, that's the quote up behind me. But yeah, definitely oh, being yeah. one of the biggest um, le- like learning and growth tools for me, you know, like traveling and that. Yeah, man, it's, it's massive. But it's cool. Like people are starting to travel more now. Like um, I guess maybe, I think maybe social media started it. Like people mm. seeing places online and, like oh, I want to go there and check out different places and stuff like mm. that. But yeah, probably like ten years ago and that maybe um, people wasn't trying to get out as much. Eh? Mm. Yeah. But no, I agree in terms of um, the travel thing. Um, I, I really want my girls to try to get out as much as possible as well before mm. they settle down. You know, like, yeah, like same as what you're saying. You know, go out and do your own thing and see the world, and then because people sometimes just go straight to the house, car, family. Yeah. And yeah. which I, yeah, like you said, if that's your thing, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. <laughs> There's a lot out there, and it helps. Like, it's helped me like understand people better and cultures better, and how mm. the world works a little bit better and stuff like that. So, mm. um, how was that uh, transitioning out of like rugby? Um, was that all right? Like, I see some some players. It's quite tough, you know, because it's a big part of their identity. Some transition easily because they have like other things going on and uh, different interests. But um, some struggle because it's like, oh, man, you know, it was so much fun. It's it a big enjoyment. Mm. I was listening to uh, Brett Finch. Brett Finch, he played for Oh, him. yeah. He was talking about that he struggled for a few years just because he went straight out of school into, you know, professional league. And mm. he didn't know what a normal life was, yeah. you know. And, and so he, went, he had some different jobs and stuff. And he was like, man, what, what is this? Yeah. You know, <laughs> he didn't know what a normal nine to five was because mm. – he was doing something he loved for so many years and getting paid well. And yeah, how was the transition for you? I think the transition for me was way easy compared to a lot of, you know, the types you mentioned who did the professional rugby thing. You know, it was basically their nine to five and then some, you know, every day is rugby for those guys, you know, and they never really switched off or got a chance to. Um, for me, it was easy because I ended up playing um, semi-pro type stuff and ended up coaching. So I kind of weaned myself out. But when the, the real crunch moment was when my daughter was born and 
I, I had to have a word with myself and you know say you know what either you keep um, playing and risk um, being in a wheelchair or, or you know some sort of career-ending injury where you're not able to go and earn an income or you make a decision now to chase a professional career elsewhere and that's what I did I decided you know what I'm gonna give the game away um, and and I have double dabbled with you know with a couple of teams but um, I haven't done anything to the level of commitment that you know, uh, um, a full-time rugby player um, yeah. has so the, the transition was really easy for me especially yeah. when my daughter was born yeah how was the sales thing during COVID? I guess it's still sort of going. How has it affected you and, um, yeah, your business and what you're up to? Oh, look, um, outside of being really passionate about uh, sales as a career, I'm a passionate IT person, um, especially in terms of a career pathway for our next generation of Pacifica. Um, which is why a few of us started the Pacific IT organization. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because um, as uh, someone who is sales passionate and has a passion for IT as a viable career for people, for young, for youth, um, I found it hard over the last almost a year searching for a full-time role in you know the 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 tech industry getting back into the tech industry because i've been away for uh, over a year with various other roles and other industries so what that speaks to is the fact that even though the it industry is all about automation and there's a lot more flexible um lenience towards working from home roles and being remote there are still a lot of companies especially in New Zealand who are so old school in their thinking or or they don't have enough trust in their employees or aren't open-minded enough to having employees being based away from it from a brick and mortar office so unless you're in a, you know, you're in an industry that requires person-to-person interaction, like in the flesh, like say a PT role. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's PT roles now that do it online through Zoom, but w- what I'm saying there is there's a lot of, you know, IT industry especially should be the most lenient when it comes to having work from home employees Hmm. Um, and because i found it hard over the last year um, it's it's a it's a it's a topic that i actually want to write about all right um, and and publish something i might i might do so on linkedin but yeah Yeah. it's a it's, it's something i'm really in the back of my mind thinking why 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 yeah stop um holding your employees back if you're an it organization especially yeah there's with the COVID, it's definitely a big lean towards 
online business and mm. marketing and yep. and people won't you know are less likely to want to go into places you know there'll always be some sort of craving for uh, of the element of communication with people you know face to face and mm. that type of thing but a lot of it's going to go more online eh? like you're yep. saying with automations and systems and yeah uh e-commerce say eh? it's going to be massive eh? Mm, it's the sure. way it's, it's the way um going forward i'm trying to like adjust because i you know where we're, we come from the time where we didn't have it and now we have it mm. you know um and uh, i guess i'm a bit like uh, ignorant in a way but I, I at the same time i know i have to learn it it's just you have to adapt or you'll die sort of thing yeah you know i'm like man i've got to i've got to stay up to date and try to learn as much as i can because it's just the way forward, you know, and especially being in fitness as well. You know, um, I think I always have um, work like face to face, but I can't, I don't think I can rely on that like wholly, mm. you know, mm. I have to have some sort of presence online as well mm. as in person, sort of bit of both. Um, can't rely on the one. So mm. that's, that's the way you're leaning more towards the e-commerce type of thing. Yeah, I mean, e-commerce, um, having an online business of some sort where you're helping a customer base that actually has a, a, a need, a need that they can't solve themselves, um, definitely, yeah. definitely. Build a business that is solving a problem for a lot of people mm. um, or build a business that solves a problem that you came across yourself. Yeah. And um, the psychology of uh, sales, eh? So... That's pretty big. How how's that been for you? Like um, getting doors slammed in your face and being sworn out, but you know, making sales like it's like ups and downs. How do you like um, brush those things off and you know uh, overcome it? And that yeah, of- I mean that's a that's a really good question. I'm glad you brought it up. Look, it's uh, it's something that time and time time and time again, I it, it's a topic of conversation that I have with especially with salespeople is how do we deal with it when it happens. How do we get over things like rejection? How do we get over difficult times? How do we get over challenges in the moment? And how do we get over it quickly? How do we get over losses? How do we get over failures? Uh, for me, I think I try and have a purpose that's so big that when it comes to transactional disappointment, I'm able to move on quickly from it because the purpose is dragging me away from it. So, you know, the purpose could be, I want to, I want to make an impact on uh, a certain industry um, to make sure that anyone who's in business in that industry can see around the corner, can avoid or mitigate risk, can be in business longer. You know, those are, those, those are purposeful goals that actually speak to a problem or a pain that a target market or an audience are trying to avoid. So if I can tie my, I guess, my, myself to, to those kind of goals, every disappointment that comes, comes along the way, as long as I'm focused on those goals, they're just uh, temporary disappointments. Mm. So just having that bigger picture at the front of your mind sort of thing, like helps you just to water off a duck's back type of thing. It's like, all right, onto the next one. I've got this vision. I've got this purpose. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it, having that awareness as well, that uh, emotional and mental awareness uh, about how you would normally react to certain situations, certain rejections and, and that mm. type of thing. If you're really aware of how you're going to react to that kind of thing, you can, you can pretty much deal with anything that comes your way because you've already uh, made a decision and a commitment to yourself that you're going to deal with things a certain way and not be affected by it the way others would mm. who yeah, don't have the experience. Yeah, there's a big like emotional sort of intelligence about it, eh, sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And you, you, you made a really good point earlier about um, adaptability. Uh, I think for me, that's, that's massive. Being able to adapt in any situation to whatever is put in, thro in front of you. That's massive. Like, you know, you have IQ, you have EQ, but the newest one is AQ, which is adaptability quotient. It's the, the having the ability to adapt to any situation that you're put in front, that's put in front of you um, and having an intelligence about that. Hmm. That's cool. One, eh? I haven't heard that one. The, um, I've heard about adapt, being adaptable, but not the AQ. So that's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Cause like when I was saying, when I didn't sell, like, I was like, man, I worked a whole, I think it was a week. I can't remember, but I remember it was a pay, pay, like, and I didn't get nothing. Like, man, it was so guttering. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so much time. And one of the mm -hmm. other boys I was with, like, he made um, later on, like, a couple of big sales. And, like, mm -hmm. it was, like, a lot of money, man. And, like, he sort of chilled out. Like, and he was like, oh, I wouldn't, don't need to work until, like, the next, you know, he could have a couple of days off sort of thing. Like, because you yeah. can make, you know, a thousand or whatever. And you know, you're sort of good for the week. Um, so I was like, man, you know, just bouncing back from that. Eh? But it was a cool, it was a cool experience for me to, to jump into that. Um, and then even like getting into um, with the gym, you mm. know, I, re I learned that sales is unavoidable. Like we're, we're selling ourselves everywhere we go, mm. you know, like whether we want to admit it or not, like yep. at the gym, business, <laughs> um, you know, finding a partner, uh, wherever we're going, we're selling ourselves in some, some absolutely, sort of way. Yeah. Absolutely agree. It's sell or be sold. That's basically it. You know, you sell others on your ideas, concepts, or services, or products. Or they sell you on why they shouldn't buy from you. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, um, I try to learn about it because I'm, I'm not um, naturally good at it. Mm. And I bought uh, the old Zig Ziglar book, one oh, of his nice. books. Awesome. And because um, I was I was noticing I was losing clients, uh, prospect you know clients or members mm. at the gym because I, I couldn't close, you know, and I didn't know and I was like something's wrong here and you know me mm -hmm. and my cousin and uh, I was trying to like you said um spend some of my spare time researching it and and looking into how to who who was some of the big influences on you or what what or resources or any um, people that helped you Ziggs one. Zig's yep. definitely one. He's one of the first ones I ever studied. Um, there's a guy named Tom Hopkins as well, who was big in real estate. He's one of the premier, if you like, sales gurus out there. Yeah. Um, he wrote a book called The Art of Selling Anything. Right, right. Um, so there's guys like that. There's Brian Tracy. There's Grant oh, yeah. Cardone. So, yeah, Brian, Brian Tracy is well-respected in, in sales. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. 
the the best salespeople will have heard of Brian Tracy. Um, there's methodologies out there as well, sales methodologies that um, are based on how to, how to train people on down a certain kind of process. Um, and the best methodologies I've come across, uh, you know, the Miller Hyman's, the Challenger Sale. There's one called Sandler, which I'm uh, very close to because I, I worked for them. I worked for Sandler Training as as a sales trainer and coach. Hmm. Um, so I've got a soft spot for Sandler. Um, but look, I, I I try to learn all the methodologies. Like spin selling is something that is taught to almost every corporate salesperson. Hmm. Spin selling is basically uh, based on asking questions around the situation that the customer is going through, taking them through their pain, seeing what pain points they have. Um, the I bit is the impact or the implication of uh, those pains on, on the person, the, the business. And then you have needs analysis or, you know, needs payoff where you, it's basically a hook. You know, you're hooking them into your solution that's tailored towards the customer's business challenges. So there's, there's, there's methodologies that, you know, cover off certain parts. I guess for, for yourself, someone like yourself, closing's good, but there's, there's also the, so, you know, in my article I wrote about why we sell and how we sell, where nowadays it's all about why buyers buy and how they buy. Finding the why and how buyers buy, basically. Um, when I'm talking to people who come to me for help, they normally ask me, okay, this is what I've done to try and qualify a certain prospect. And then I've taken them through a process and then it's fallen down. So once they've, you know, I ask them a few questions and I normally pinpoint where they went south. And, and then I, I give them a few pointers on what to use next. And I normally get some good feedback uh, because they've actually implemented what I told them to do. Um, and it's usually because buyers, they deal with salespeople all the time, right? In their personal life and their business life, they're being pitched, you know, they're being sold to, they're being, you know, they're being taken down a journey, a sales process or, or a few sales steps by someone who either has a sales title in, in, their, in their role or um, is not obviously in a sales role, but uses a bit of selling. And unfortunately for traditional salespeople, prospects know a lot of their techniques. Prospects can call them out sometimes. Oh, that's the alternative close. Oh, that's the impending event close. Oh, you're using the Ben Franklin close on me. Oh, you know, you're, you're going to, so when are you going to ask me if we can schedule a meeting for Tuesday or Thursday? It's coming, you, it's coming. Yeah. And is it morning or afternoon? Two o'clock or three o'clock, you know? So you're giving options. And every prospect has been taken through that by salespeople, you know, salespeople who have been taught a traditional way. And, and to a certain degree, it still works. Mm. It's good. It works. It's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. But because the prospects are more informed now and know what to expect, they have canned responses. When they hear something that a salesperson 
has said. So for instance, when, when you call uh, a prospect for the first time, like a cold call, you know, or even an email, and you write hello, and you write their name, or you write their, if you write their surname in an email, immediately the prospect is going to go, what? You're just treating me like another, you know, email campaign that you're putting me through. Automated. Yeah. If you can create some common ground or familiarity in the first instance, you, you create mystery to the, to the customer that you're talking to. Because, you know, now the customer's going, oh, we must have met before because he's only using my first name yeah, and yeah. giving me his first name. So say for instance, let's, let's do a voicemail example. Hey, Ash, it's Joey here. Give me a call on 022-429, blah, 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 blah. Again, it's Joey, 022-429, blah, 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 blah. You, as the receiver of this voicemail, you're going, holy we must have met. Who is this guy? He didn't leave his company name. He didn't leave the reason why he's calling. See. He just, and, and he gave me a call to action to call him back. And he left his number twice. Is must he be watching a, me? <laughs> must, in the customer's mind, you know, it creates, creates a mystery. One, it's like, okay, we must know each other because he only gave me his first name and he called me by my first name. He didn't say the classic Hope you're well. How are you? You know, that kind of thing. Because <laughs> it puts you into a box immediately, puts you into a box. The prospect, as soon as they hear, how are you today? Like, who the hell are you to ask me, how, how are you today? <laughs> Have we met? Do we know each other personally? No. Why are you asking me, how are you today? Right? So those in my world, those are called hate crimes. H-A-Y-T. How are you today? Hmm. Don't commit a hate crime if you're a salesperson that I've trained. Um, and I always tell people, you know, you've got to come up with what I call pattern interrupts. And pattern interrupts are basically going against what the customer is actually expecting you to say as a salesperson. Because what they're trying to do when they're on a call, they're trying to differentiate between you, the salesperson, you, the business owner, and you, the stranger, they, they, in their mind, they've got all these questions going. And when you say something like, how are you today? Or hello, Mr. Surname, box, salesperson. How are you today? Box, salesperson. And then start pitching straight away. Box, telemarketer, salesperson, you know? So there's a few things there that I teach salespeople all the time to avoid, but also to incorporate into their cold calls. Um, because I think of myself when I'm cold called by tele tele salespeople or telemarketers and they, they go straight into it. They're like, hello, Mr. Joey. As soon as I hear Mr. Joey, I'm like, okay, hold on. Stop, stop, stop. I know you're calling me about something. I don't care what it is, but let's, let's go through. Carry on. So, so I gave them a warning, you know, I give them a warning and I take them through this whole big thing because I actually do want to help them. I don't just want to abuse them because they've interrupted me at like 8.30 at night, you know, and they've called me from a foreign number that's based in um, you know, Greenland or somewhere. And, 
and they're using a script. You can tell they're reading from a script word for word. Do you and have like, more empathy for them because you've done oh, it? Totally, oh, totally, <laughs> totally, absolutely. The rest of us are like, go away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like there are some who part of the, the foreign exchange industry, mate, they are so aggressive. I try and help where, where I can, but sometimes you just got to hang up. Yeah. You just got to tell them, don't call me back. As soon as I see that foreign number, man, I, mm. I don't pick that up at all. Mm. Uh. <laughs> which, which leads me to another point. A lot of people, especially decision makers within a business, they put, pe- they put salespeople in what we call voicemail jail. So let's say, for instance, you know, you've had an interaction with uh, an ideal prospect and you've given them your pricing and you guys have both had a call to action to um, the next two days. You're going to call that prospect and say, and get their feedback on the pricing, the proposal and what they thought of it and blah, blah, blah. You set a time, you call and they've put you through to voicemail, even though they said that, yeah, yeah, I'll answer, I'll answer at 2 p.m. on Thursday. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the call, you know. 2 p.m. comes, whatever reason, they put you in voicemail. It's their way of screening the call, one. It's also their way of going into hiding because prospects go into hiding. They don't need anything from you anymore. You've given them your price. Mm. You've given them everything they need in terms of information. They don't need the salesperson anymore. Now they can go shopping with your price and leverage your price to their existing uh, supplier or PT or the, you know, the competitors so they can get the best possible price because that's what buyers do. And unfortunately for, for salespeople, there's still salespeople out there who cater to buyers like that. So, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bit about, that, about psychology of sales and I'm glad you brought it up. Psychology of sales is something that I, I really want salespeople no matter what level they're at, to be aware of. Mm. What would you say, like, is maybe a couple of tips if someone's in business? Because everyone has to sell, as we've mentioned before. Say, like, uh, yeah, business owner. Um, yeah, like, what would you say, like, tips that, I guess, basic ones that you would need to have down in terms of, um, you know, closing and, you know, selling, you know, a couple of main points, a couple of main things, you know? I think when you're, if you're a business owner who's trying to obviously grow more business, drum up more business for themselves, Mm. and you're going through the cold calling side of things, nobody likes cold calling. And if you come across anyone that says they love cold calling, they're lying because they never made any. Um, Cold calling is not something you're meant to like. It's just something you have to do. Yeah. So even even now, you you still has something you have to do. Absolutely, I I set time I set time aside every day to do a bit of prospecting, cold call, and that includes cold calling. So um, it's just something you have to do as a salesperson. You've got to get over yourself because you know it's strangers that have what you want, Hmm. and we're taught as children. Never talk to strangers. So mm. these kind of things are wired into us. It's like we're going against everything we're taught as a kid. Don't talk to strangers. And then, you know, you've got this business owner who's telling you, go and make some cold calls and start talking to strangers. Mm. Then there's confusion. And then you're selling yourself on 
why you shouldn't make that call. That's where cold call reluctance comes from. So I guess a, a bit of advice for business owners who are trying to drum up business is get through the calling. You know, it's, it's not something you're meant to like doing. Just do it. You have to do it. Well, would um, you say like put aside, uh, you know, in terms of time-wise, you said you, you had it as a part of your day. What would you recommend uh, roughly? So the optimum, optimal times to call um, companies is between 10 and 2 every day. Um, the optimal times to call final decision makers is between the hours of eight to nine and three to five mm. every day. But there's studies that also show that when it comes to cold calling, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the best. Tuesday, no Wednesday, Thursday. No one's at their desk on a Monday or Friday. Everyone's in meetings, team meetings, meetings, whatever, you know, lunches on Fridays, Mondays, nobody wants to do any work. So, so they, they schedule team meetings for that day, internal meetings. Um, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, is the, they're the three action days that people should really take heed. Mm. So cold calling, um, you do, oh, sorry, well, you do like emails and, and then face-to-face -face stuff. Is those sort of the three main? Yeah, so... Um, so you've got to be careful as well that you're not spending too much time doing admin work and and the phone call is going to be the most powerful outside of being in person with that person um and the, the phone call is going to be the your first way in because you know either you know someone that knows the decision maker or you don't and if you don't you have to get on a cold call um there are ways to get introductions done via email, via LinkedIn, you know, via social media. And that's all part of social selling. But you also have the ability to go and drop into a, to a place and see a CEO or a decision maker. And nine times out of 10, they will make the time to see you either on the spot or they'll schedule a time right there and then. Mm. Say, okay, I can't see you right now, mate, but if we schedule time for, you know, we'll check my diary. So that's, that's a really powerful way of getting an appointment is going into, you know, a prospect's workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had, um, well, not for sales, but just making things happen. Like when you just go in and put a bit of pressure on people, uh, when you want it, when something or to, you know, uh, push something along a bit quicker. Yeah, going in face to face seems to work pretty good, eh? Mm, mm. They're like, oh so, yeah, you were that person that called or emailed, and then they they mm. do it then and there or chase it up, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you look, it's a lot of people have to get over what they're telling themselves in their head as to why they shouldn't be assertive or shouldn't um, put a bit of pressure on customers who have a pain that they've shared with you that you can solve. If you've both established that, that the customer has a pain that you, your product or service can solve, and then they're not actually committing to, you know, actions that'll, that'll move towards, you know, closing that sale or, or that opportunity. It's you, the salesperson or the business owner that has to take responsibility for that and actually make them 
and, and obviously in a professional appropriate way, get to the point where, okay, we're gonna do this because we've both already established and agreed that there's a problem that my thing can fix. So yeah, it's, it's, it's giving them nudges as well. So the nudges come in form of, you know, if you've got that kind of relationship, a text or an email or um, you know, a phone call, and it's usually a voicemail because nobody really answers their phones these days unless you're calling them straight on their mobile. But usually when you're calling somebody's mobile for the first time, they, they put you to voicemail because they don't, un, they don't recognize your number. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to have a powerful voicemail message. And the best one that I've had the best results with is the one I shared earlier in this podcast. Hmm. So, cause you create mystery rather yeah. than tell them the name of your company and they judge you on the name of your company or they look up the name of your company on Google. Have them guess where they know you from. Have them call you back. Yeah. And usually it's immediate when they do call you back. Hmm. So how would you, how would you uh, time out your day in terms of sales, uh, you know, phone and all, all the other different type of techniques and ways you can sell roughly? Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. So um, the way I, I do it is, you know, in sales or in, in my world of sales, there's paid time versus unpaid time. In paid time, you've got to do paid time activities. Paid time activities is not the admin stuff. Admin stuff you can do outside of paid time, and that's 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. at night. That's unpaid time. That's where you can do admin activities or activities that doesn't move you um, towards the close. So paid time activities is during the day when you're actually doing prospecting, phone calls, uh, cold calls, um, logging in your cold calls into whatever CRM system you're using or meetings, you know, scheduling appointments, that kind of thing. Things that are actually actions you're taking today that will lead to sales tomorrow. That's mm. the basic thinking around it. Unpaid time, unpaid time activities is all the admin stuff, all the researching of companies, seeing who within a business I need to speak to in terms of a role, who are the decision makers, who are people I know at this particular company that can introduce me to the CEO or whatever. Right, all that kind of stuff. Don't do it during work hours. So, when oh, you, yeah. as a sales as a salesperson, if you're doing that kind of thing, you're setting yourself up for success. No matter no matter what kind of processes your particular company has. So it's like um the pursuit of happiness, eh? Where he's um he's like hustling hard, like all day, like making calls and chasing up different clients, stuff like that. So it's, I mean, not really the movie, but you know what I mean? Like you're hustling in the day and then yep. at night you're doing, so they're hard workers, eh? Salespeople, eh? Yeah, they are. Because um, it's work hard, play hard kind of world. Because the, the, the short stint that I did that, because um, I was playing rugby too at the time and um, yeah, they would do like to four or five and then they would do stuff afterwards. And I'm like, mm. I gotta go to training. <laughs> but that that's what i guess that's what it took eh, to, to you know really succeed in that yeah yeah working yeah yeah they would always be doing something else you know for a couple of hours yep. and i'm like ah oh, sorry guys I gotta go training. 
but yeah, I guess if that's what you really want to do, then that's what it takes. Eh? Mm. You've got to, you've got to also learn how to say no to activities that don't grow you as an individual or, or a professional. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I took a long time to be able to do. Like whenever I'm asked in um, interviews, how, what's the, what's a weakness that you have that you had to overcome? Um, and what was the result of that? I normally share a story about how I take on too much. I say yes to too many, too many actions, to too many things by too many people. And I always talk about how it builds up into stress, basically. Mm. Unless I hit it in the butt up front and say no to certain things that I can't actually sacrifice the existing activities from. You know, so a lot of people have, uh, you know, a lot of people who work in offices or work in, you know, roles where they answer to, uh, to someone higher above them. You know, they get work poured onto their desk and they, they feel obliged to say yes, right? So I always tell people, look, you can approach it this way. Sure thing, Mr. Manager, I'll take that on. What shall I give up so that I can mm. take that on, right? Mm, that's a good one. So yeah, yeah. Putting, it, putting the ball in their court, what shall I give up of all the things that you've given me already so that I can take that on? Because mm, so you're, you're not exactly saying no to doing that activity. You're just saying, look, how do I prioritize this against what I'm currently doing? Mm. And that's going to be your call, not mine, Mr. Manager. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned early on in the in the podcast about time, eh? How you really value your time and stuff. And I was thinking about sales, and uh, the more I looked into it, um, there was something within me like I haven't quite figured it out. Like I don't value myself in a way. You have to. There's sort of like issues you have to deal with yourself to sell in a way as well, eh? Like um, absolutely right. Yep. past trauma or like yep. self um you know confidence or mm. you know because i noticed like the, the less i um cared in a way the better i did like the less desperate i was to get clients the better i did not like didn't care like as in i got blase but just didn't try as hard like i still tried but i was just more relaxed about it all the better i did and it wasn't nothing changed except more my attitude and my presence so i learned that people could feel your aura like your um yeah your tone and uh, i mean i don't have it down but it was just something i picked up along the way that it's not necessarily the script but who i was as a person i had to really believe in what i was selling and who i was and because coming from a poor background it's hard to sell like an ask for big lumps of uh, money or I'm like, Oh, am I really worth it? I'm, I'm being a fraud here. You know, there was all these different things that run through my head. And th I found that's the biggest obstacle as opposed to like um, the scripts and what to say, you know, for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? You're speaking to a whole industry right there. So I'm glad you actually brought that up because that is actually one of the secrets to sales. What you've just described there. Obviously, there's some um, there's some polishing that you can do to that. Um, so one example is what we what I have learned and what I teach people is a rule where 
they have to say to themselves before any interaction with a prospect, whether it be by phone, email, a meeting for the first time, or they're even going to pitch, right? The one rule is, I have $20 million in my bank account. I don't need this person's business. Mm -hmm. And if I go in with that approach, the pressure is off both sides. Mm -hmm. There's a big relief in the room because now I'm going in there with more of a consultative approach where I'm going, you know what? I'm taking off my sales hat right now and I'm going to ask you questions that makes you, Mr. Prospect, feel comfortable with me as the person who's asking the questions. And you're not going to feel like, oh, this guy's just trying to lead me to a, a point where he just closes me. Whereas if I'm using language with you now, Mr. Mr. Customer, where you now are thinking, oh, seems like this guy doesn't really need my business. So the pressure's off, right? Yeah. Mm. And when the pressure's off for a customer and the, the seller is asking questions or saying things that um, is not trying to convince the prospect, the prospect then, this is all psychology. So the mm. prospect then goes into a situation where they go, oh, I need to now convince the salesperson as to why we need to work together. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. You know, when you say um, a lot more positive things have happened because of, you know, your demeanor has, has, mm. has, has been received differently by your, your customers. Absolutely. That works. It's a psychology. Yeah. You know, and it's something that we have, um, where I've learned uh, certain techniques around certain talk tracks around certain frameworks around to allow the customer to see the exit at all times, basically, right? And when you're doing that, you're allowing them to see the exit. It means, okay, this, this seller in front of me, he's not attached to the result. And because he's not attached to the result, we can actually talk properly and I'll give them more information than, than I was going to in the first place if he was going to use all those techniques on me up front. The barrier drops down and... Yeah, and you can start being open and yeah, talk. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that um how that works. Hey, yeah, the psychology of it, and um I started to look into that. Yeah, um I haven't dived as deeply into it as as I would like, but I looked into like cognitive biases mm. and um this book um Robert Robert Caldini I think influence and. Oh yeah, it was, he was talking about like the law of um, reciprocity, and, nice. um, and I was like, oh okay, and and I start to see it a lot more, you know, when you know when people at the um, when you travel and they try to give you stuff, yeah, because they know that you've got to give something back. Yes, and you sort of see it play out in society, you know, birthdays and but people not really knowing that it's happening. Yeah, exactly. By, by someone giving you something you've in some way in your brain, you're like, Oh, I've got to give something back. Exactly. Some way or form, you know, and, but people do that. Our businesses and, and people do that to their advantage. Yeah. And that's just one thing, right? Mm, it's one of many things. And, and I'm trying to learn about all these other co uh, cognitive biases as well. And, and trying to be more aware of it. So I don't get ripped off. And like, cause even like, I don't know, even yourself, like even, I think anybody who knows sales, they, you can still get done by it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> even if you know it like there's been stuff that's happened to me uh and you sort of see what's happening but it still works 
Do you, and do you know why? Have you ever thought about why that happens? Why you can still get done by it? I think what you said earlier, like I bought them, like I like them and, yeah. and they were nice to me. And I'm like, hey, this person's not right. You know, it's, you know, it's sort of helping me or, you know, it's a good product, you know, why not? You know, but so, I don't, maybe so, don't really need it, but you know, it was a good vibe. It was a good experience or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, those immediate defense mechanisms that, that go up the walls that go up when you hear a certain thing that you're not comfortable with. Yeah. When that has been broken down, and your guard has been let down, that's when you're vulnerable. Mm. No, and, and that's what happens. You know, I get caught out when, when I let my guard down yeah. because I now like and trust the person that's in front of me so much that we've built so much rapport and I'm, I'm willing to do whatever with this person because, you know, I, I like them and trust them and they've got me to a point where I feel, okay, this person's not going to, rip me off or you know sell me a dud yeah yeah um because i love haircuts i love the barber experience and um i sort of liken that to shopping like it's not just the haircut it's talking to the barber and you talk about how's things going how's work mm. and mm. how's the kids and stuff and so like when i shop and like i leave and i bought something maybe that i didn't want to but the experience was good you know chatting with the person then i, I sort of feel all right about it Mm. As opposed to like, oh man, I feel like I got swindled right then. Yeah. You know, like, so, um, yeah, you got, you, like, I guess with the sales, trying to get people to go away feeling good about it all as well. Yep. Eh? But you also, I think also, um, another bit of advice I can give business owners is go for the long-term sustainable relationship rather than the transaction. Because when you're, when you're, going for just the transaction, meaning the quick sale of one product or one service or a membership. <clears throat> what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be seen in a certain way, not by just that buyer, but that buyer's whole circle. Because once that, that buyer talks, talks shit about you, their whole circle is now wary mm. about you and when your name comes up in conversation, they're already thinking about your reputation. Yeah. Being, oh, he doesn't care about relationship. He just wants a sale. Yeah. <clears throat> and another thing on that is buyer's remorse, which is what you described. You know, buyer's remorse is when you've made a you've made a purchase because the salesperson was so good at closing you or whatever. Whatever got you to the point where you made a purchase? It's natural for a buyer to have those afterthoughts. It could be a couple of minutes after they've left the office. Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> it came out of nowhere. Um, <clears throat> buyer's remorse. Um, there's certain things you, as a, as a salesperson or a business owner, should do to avoid buyers from having buyer's remorse and usually it comes in the form of hey mr buyer you know can i share a story about when i made a sale like this to a lady just last week or what, whatever you know tell them a story but a third party story where you made a sale to a person who was similar to the buyer in front of you and 
before that person got back, to, the salesperson got back to the office, the buyer called him up and said, hey, I uh, had a change of heart. I want to, um, you know, I want to refund or I want to cancel the order. When the salesperson had already made calls to the office to say, yeah, I got one, you know, I got one. Yeah, we can celebrate. Oh, awesome. I closed the deal. But the, the you know, the buyer had buyer's remorse for whatever reason. And that wasn't addressed. So what I advise business owners and salespeople to do is before the buyer leaves or whoever is in front of you, address with them something that could happen in the future. And you could do it like this. You know, I had a, I had a buyer who recently bought something like this and called me as I was making my way back to the office that day and said, hey, look, I've had a change of heart. And then this is the follow-up question to follow that story. That's not going to happen here, is it? Or, or something along those lines, right? Because you want, you, want to, you want to give them the chance to get out now before you both go part ways. And what it does is it either solidifies in the buyer's mind that they're not going to go back on what they said they were going to do, which is close this deal and, and make the purchase. And because they verbalize to you, no, no, I'm not going to go back on it. No, I'm going to stick with it. It's good. Now they've solidified in their mind because you helped them get there. They're going, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to go back on it. Um, I'm glad he brought it up. It gives you a bit of credibility as well as a salesperson or a business owner because you tried to help them get out of the deal at that moment, right? Yeah. You gave them an opportunity to get out. If you wanted to get out of this, and that's absolutely fine, you know, these things happen. I'd rather you did it now. It's that's not going to happen now, is it? Or, you know, or, or are we okay? No, no, we're fine. We're done. Easy. So that's, that's also called the lock close. So lock close is basically when you lock in the sale, it's kind of like an after sale technique, but it's, it's just giving the buyer uh, an out if they wanted to take the out. Right, right. rather than them take the out tomorrow when they call your office early in the morning or when they do the classic email, hey, mate, sorry, we're going to have to cancel the order. Something's come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you ask for feedback as to what was the reason, they, won't, they go missing, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a, lot, a whole lot of awkwardness and frustration, whereas if you deal with it up front whilst they're still in your presence, it's way more powerful. Yeah. It's like you're saying before, playing the long game, eh? Yeah, playing the long game and, and establishing credibility at every given moment that you can. And you can do that by showing them the exit. Yeah. You know what, Mr. Kasma, if, if this is not something that you want to do, I absolutely understand. That's fine. Just let me know either way. And what it does to the customer, they go, they go holy, this guy is not actually attached to the outcome. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's helping me every step of the way feel comfortable buying from him. And you know what that's going to do for me as a future buyer? I'm going to keep coming back and buying from him because I'm okay with it. Yeah. It was like um, at the gym, like some of the people, you know, they left, but then they come back like later, like years yeah. later. And yeah. um, just because, you, you know, 
fact they might have traveled or changed yeah. jobs. This life happens, eh? Yeah, life happens. A, That's right. If they had a good experience and they come back and they're in the neck of the hood, you know, they yeah, um exactly. they come back, and exactly. even years later, eh? So, boy, like you said, always um, yeah, treat everyone good and play the long game type of thing, yeah. eh? Yeah. It's never it's never over, really. Mm. That's well, right. Well, um, what are you up to the, uh, at the moment, um, and what are you uh, working towards? Uh, got some stuff in the in the in the works. Yeah, so I've just uh, st- I'm three weeks in with a, my new role with a with a tech company, and it's a tech startup that's been in business eighteen months, and they're looking to go public in the next two years, basically, growing so fast. At 18, eighteen months ago, they had like four employees. Now the business has about 53 wow. in That's 18 great. months. And just last week, they hired five people. Mm. And it's, it's basically trying to automate the, pro, the manual process that a certain market is going through. Yeah. And that's what software as a service is, basically. You know, when you, we're working for a company that's uh, software as a service, that you're looking to automate in some way either through the cloud or on-premise with the service that company has in their offices. So, yeah, for me, it's, um, it's really exciting to be back in the IT industry, um, something I'm passionate about for the next generation um, and as a, as a business development manager for them, looking after the North Island. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited at getting in front of decision makers again, um, walking the walk in terms of prospecting, um, picking up the phone and making those cold calls and establishing long-term relationships, uh, viable ones anyway, because mm. not every cold call is going to lead to a viable long-term relationship. Yeah. Unless you qualify them in, move along, move along to the next opportunity because you don't want to waste your time or your company's time and it does nobody any favors. Mm. Um, what would you say to say like um, some young, you know, uh, Pacific kids coming through looking to get into sales? I guess just some tips, um, you know, from your experiences, and because you know it's sort of like um, I was talking with my uh, sister-in-law, and we we're talking about how we're good at doing the job, like you know, tell us what to do, we will get the job done. But critical thinking is, yeah, is one of the things like. Um, you know, like, but tell, tell us, do the job, we can get it done, you know, do this, do that, by this time, boom, done, probably done early, whatever, mm. but to, to critical think and give feedback and all that and, you know, make adjustments, which is a lot of sales, right, um, mm. you know, uh, getting feedback and, and changing as, as things unfold, yeah, what, what would you say, you know, with some aspiring sales Polynesian kids coming through? I think if I was them or, you know, where I am now in my sales career, what I would give as advice to the likes coming through who are bus figure and, and wanting a career in sales or just looking at it as an option is what I tell a lot of people and, you know, a lot of people even outside of sales is look for who who's already a thought leader in that space um, that you feel comfortable enough to reach out to. 
um, or is within your reach in terms of accessing them. Mm. You know, there's no point reaching out to someone who's based in the States who you'll never be able to get a hold of because right. they're a, a third degree contact on LinkedIn or something. Try and find mutual contacts for that particular person and see if you can get some time and the way to position it is ask for the advice rather than I would like to pick your brain because nobody likes their brain to be picked because what it sounds like is, oh, so you want to take my time away from me, my valuable time for the price of a cup of coffee, right? Right. Yeah. Because everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. Oh, I'd like to pick your brain and, and, and have a coffee. Sure. What do I get out of it, right? Mm. As the person whose brain is being picked. So the best way to engage those types is advice because when you are asking for advice of someone who's considered a thought leader or an expert in their field, what they're immediately thinking is, oh, this is my way of giving back. Hmm. This is my way of making an impact on somebody rather than somebody taking from me, which picking the brain kind of alludes to. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So that's, that would be my first bit of advice is find people who are already doing it in that space or thought leaders that you have access to. Yeah. So to get some mentorship and yeah. that would be a big, big way of um, making some sh shortcuts there. Eh? Cause that will tell you, you know, things to avoid things to yeah. look into more. And instead yeah. of walking through the fire yourself sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, you know, if you just think about it, critically you rather take advice from someone who's been there and done that mm. who's succeeded and failed and has a story to tell who is leading in that space or has led in that space yeah. that's what that's the person you want to uh, get advice from not someone who thinks they've been there or tells a story that they've been there when they actually haven't be yeah. careful of who you take advice from yeah Hundred percent. Uh, yeah, I'm big on um, big on having mentors. Eh, and I learned like, you know, if you want to play, play sports or whatever, you know, you go to people who've been there, <laughs> done that, and it's the same with sales. Eh. Hmm. Yep. It's, absolutely. It's, um. Absolutely. Pick out pick out people who've been there and done that. Um. Uh, coming down, man. I feel like we could. Uh, we'll probably have to do another one. Eh. To, I feel like we didn't get into your background as well, um, coming up, uh, growing up uh, out south in that day. Yeah, but, um, sure. we have to we have to do another one. Yep, okay. Um, coming down to final final few questions. Any um, like book or resource or something you've read that has had a big uh, impact on your on your life? Um, yes, there's one one book in particular that I can recommend mm. to anyone, whether you're in sales or not. And that is Sell or Be Sold by Grant Cardone. All right, yeah. yeah. I've um, Sell or Be Sold, it's, it's made a big um, impact on your life, this one? It has. Um, the reason being is not only from a sales perspective, but it's a real eye-opener in that there's certain things that we should be mindful of mm. in terms of how we spend our time, money, and resources on things that we want and what it does is what it did for me anyway it, it made me 
rethink one who i'm getting my advice from two what i'm doing with my day-to-day -day activities and three um what am i doing about the gap between where i am now and where i want to be yeah no, that's awesome there's some great tips there <coughs> I, I listened to grant a couple of times he was a guest on um, a couple of podcasts and oh yeah I, one of the tips always stood out to me i um he says, why, why, why do you, why do you, will you only see, why will you see me in the corner selling some pens or pencils? And he's like, because it builds momentum. And he goes, it's only small, but it builds momentum. Yes. And, it's all about um, that. And, um, and I was like, man, it really hit home for me. So yeah. like whenever I'm trying to like do a project or a task or, you know, hit a goal, like I'm like, all right. Cause I'm into like apparel and, you know, doing apparel is quite a big process, but like if I can just get a design done, then email it in. Awesome. You know, it's not, it's not, I'm not doing it all at once, you know, yeah. but I'm just yeah. getting momentum done. Like, yeah. cause it can be overwhelming. Like, um, Absolutely. there's quite a few steps to it and yeah. then you're emailing back and forward. But each time I'm emailing back and forward and then seeing the proof, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting the momentum, you know, mm. and I'm selling the pencils sort of yeah. per se. So I try to, I try to take that on because, you know, we can get paralyzed by looking at the whole picture sometimes. Mm. It's too big. Yeah. But if we can just sell a pencil, you know, yeah. we can sell something bigger later on. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of a, um, another saying in sales. Don't try to boil the ocean. Mm. It's pretty, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. big. Don't try to boil the ocean. Like everyone wants to boil the ocean, but don't try to because you'll just end up being frustrated. Mm. Just do it little by little. Yeah. Next step, next step. What's the next step? So a rule that I keep to throughout my sales career, and it's one, uh, a phrase that I've coined now. It's TKO. TKO is associated with boxing, technical knockout, right? For me, TKO in sales is time kills opportunities. Mm. So the longer you leave something after you said you were going to do something, right. the faster that will die. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Good and I've seen it time and time again where I've agreed to do something with the customer by a certain time and the longer I've left it, it's died. The opportunity yeah. has died and moved on to, to a competitor. The, the buzz is gone, eh? The, the... It's gone the excitement about that thing or whatever. Yeah. And, and especially, that's awesome, because especially with like, um, with stuff being thrown in our face so often, so they might be like into whatever you're trying to sell and then you, you're slow getting back, but they see something in between that, eh? And then I like quickly moved on, eh? Yeah. And Grant Cardone again, Grant Cardone again, he's big on time and, and, and serving, saving time, but, um, increasing the, the ratio of sales with the customer. And the way he, he teaches is, okay, if I'm, I'm in front of a customer or I'm talking to a customer on the phone or I'm emailing a customer and we've both agreed to an action, rather than the customer wait until the call is done, I'm going to text them now. I'll text you my name and number and email address now or text you the, the scheduled meeting for next week right now whilst we're in the call. Because what it does is it increases your conversion rate. It increases your chances 
of, of closing that deal because now the customer's like, holy, this guy does things real time. Mm. Rather than the typical salesperson, oh, yeah, I said I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow up this phone call with an email. So, you know, it's just set yourself apart. You're finding ways to set yourself apart by being more urgent for the customer. Yeah. And they can see that you're a, a go-getter, follow your word and, yeah. you know, make things happen type of thing, type yep. of person, eh? Absolutely. That's great. And uh, so you got a podcast part of the network. It's called The Pitch. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So The Pitch is, The Pitch was born out of a problem that I faced as a salesperson in the beginning. The problem was I didn't have anyone who looked like me or was Polynesian like me that I could look up to when I needed someone, some guidance, some guidance from someone that resonates with my, you know, myself. Yeah. So I looked to these Grant Cardones and these Brian Tracy's, <laughs> right, right. right. You know, where is the Pacific Island Grand Cardone? Where's the Pacific right. Island Brian Tracy? Mm. So I thought to myself, why not be the change you want to see in the world mm. and not just position myself as a thought leader or an expert in the field of sales, but create others who can potentially become a Pacific Grand Cardone or Pacific Brian Tracy, you know? So um, what, what that pitch uh, podcast is about is, um, sharing content from my experience so that's basically what it is it's 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 not just helping salespeople either it's across the board anyone who comes into a transactional type situation where they have to convince the other party on their pro their product their service their idea or their concept they need funding they need sponsorship they need something looked at they need something ticked off and they need to convince the other party. It could be a board of members. It could be one particular decision maker. It could be someone's partner at home mm. to get them on board on the same page. Oh, that's great, man. That you're, um, you know, being the change that you want to see in the world and, you know, being an example for the other brown faces that, <laughs> you know, that if they want to get into sales or pursue that. So, I mean, much... Uh, much respect for putting that out there. It's um so just the picture, uh, Instagram, and all the uh, put, um podcast. All the normal places, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can check that out. Being the catalyst for um for people. And uh, before we ask last question, is there like a quote or saying like outside of say just for normal life that you that sort of resonates with you that Ooh. just just the normal life one, you know, um, or mantra or something like that. Ooh. that um that uh, mainly mainly sales ones <laughs> i think i think um one that covers my whole life right, is right. If, if it's to be it's up to me mm, yeah and what that does what what that is is if i am to blame for everything or if i blame myself for everything that happens in my life it means I'm taking responsibility for those things rather than placing the responsibility in someone else's hands. Yeah. And, and if I'm doing that and taking control over my life and the results of my life, then 
things will start to shape in the way that I want it to. Mm. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that quote as well. And how just being responsible, eh? And yeah. being accountable. Yeah. A lot of people blame, blame and yeah. um, circumstances or people or their surroundings, but it's on us, eh? Mm. It's on us. Sure. To shape. Um, Those are some awesome work. questions. Thank you for that. Uh, and then the last question, man, is just your definition of success. Ooh. Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> it's everyone's different, but yeah, you know, you're one. I always think of succeed, actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, and I actually had a, it was a, it was an anagram for, It was an anagram for, it's been a few years now. Um, stepping up constantly and consi- consistently each and every day. Mm. Um, but success to me is making an impact on the people that are within my reach. A positive impact, actually. Yeah. Um, Actually, I actually have a, a, a ready-made mission statement that speaks to my definition of success. And uh, that is, my mission statement is, I want to build a viable network of like-minded people who are doing whatever it takes to follow their dreams and fulfill their potential and make an impact for the betterment of their goals and their life. There we have it, guys. Joey Nanai, thanks, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it, especially uh, short notice. But I definitely have to get you back on, and uh, I feel like there's a whole lot more that we didn't cover. But uh, thank you once again for your time, and, and um, we'll be in touch through the network, eh? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I look, look forward to the next one. Thanks. Thanks, Joey.